Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Say what? You know, there are a lot of confusing terms out there, and I want to get to the bottom of it. We've all heard about Bitcoin. It was on the tip of everyone's tongue a few months ago, and people were investing in it that have never even invested in their 401k or their IRA, which totally scares me. But what about blockchain, the technology that needed to exist before Bitcoin to make Bitcoin a reality? I think it's time we roll up our sleeves and dig in. I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money. And today we're talking blockchain 101 and how it will impact your future wallet with Kendi Lane. It will expand your brain. 
there. How is your week going? I hope it has been amazing and wonderful. I cannot believe we're already around to the end of another week yet again. I've gotten so many questions lately about blockchain, about cryptocurrency, about Bitcoin. What is it? What do I need to know? And I have to admit that even I am not super educated on a lot of this technology and a lot of the terms and certainly the mechanism behind blockchain and cryptocurrency. And I think a lot of us have heard about cryptocurrency. Maybe we're more familiar with that word, definitely more familiar with the word Bitcoin, but there's still kind of like this crazy cloud. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this really does exist around blockchain. Like, what is this thing? Does it work with Bitcoin? Is it just what is it? And so I really wanted to get to the bottom of it. I read an article just this week that talked about cryptocurrencies reaching a combined low. In the article, it said, led by Bitcoin and Ether, cryptocurrencies have lost 10% of their combined value in the past 24 hours. This was a couple days ago, but let's just pretend it was it was today. Uh, Bitcoin on Tuesday of this week dropped 4.5%. And the total market value of cryptocurrencies worldwide is now at its lowest since November, according to the Wall Street Journal. So something is happening. You know, we, we rode that wave last year into this year, that kind of crazy surge where it just felt like everybody and their brother was investing in Bitcoin. And I think at one particular point in time, I don't remember if this is one week or a couple weeks, but I remember getting at least 20 Ask Shauna questions about Bitcoin. Should I be investing in Bitcoin? What do I need to know? And you know, I think whenever that happens, it just sort of like sends a little green light off to me like, okay, (laughs) we should probably talk about this subject. And I love that I can get educated along with you and learn along with you. You know, the cool thing about being a, I guess if it's cool, I don't know, maybe it's not cool to you, but to pass the certified financial planner exam, I know I've talked about this a lot, but you had to basically memorize I don't know, 10 to 20 fairly big book size amounts of information in your brain. You had to squeeze all of that into that little space that exists in my brain, certainly, and then spew it back out on a test and put it together in some congealed format. It was a lot of information. I mean, a lot of the information I knew already from working in the industry, but a lot of it was brand spanking new and it was hard to figure out. So, you know, learning all of that, whether it was estate planning or investments or insurance or retirement, whatever it may be, is certainly, you know, the core foundation of financial planning and of finances. But when it comes to these, I don't know, sexier investments, certainly blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, those terminology That was not in the coursework that I studied, nor was that even, I mean, Bitcoin was kind of around. I remember when Bitcoin first started, probably not first started, but when I first heard about it, and I believe it was quite a few years ago, I remember hearing a story on the news that there were coffee shops and certain establishments in New York City, I believe, that were accepting Bitcoin. It was like this strange currency that didn't really exist. And yet, 
you know, there were vendors willing to accept this currency. So it obviously had some sort of value. But then I feel like Bitcoin sort of went away after that. Like we we didn't talk about it for a few years until last year when it just came surging. And as I said in the intro, I mean, people were asking me, should they take their money that they would normally put in their 401k or in the IRA or their Roth and invest it in Bitcoin? I'm like, what? <laughs> no, you shouldn't do that. That is one flat out no, I'm going to tell you, because it's speculative, you know, and it's not a sure thing. Just because your friend might have made money on it doesn't mean you're going to. And you could, you could possibly make money on it, but you got to be smart about these sort of things. You got to be, you have to be smart about anything that you're going to put your money into. You know, this is kind of a side tangent, but. I was interviewed for an article recently that's going to be in uh, U.S. News and World Report, and the the writer asked me, you know, so, okay, you can just put your money in a, you know, Betterment or a Wealthfront or some other robo-advisor, and just, you pick the funds, and then you just don't have to think about it. And I'm like, well, I mean, the idea behind those companies is is that that there's somebody else managing it for you. But no, you need to have some sort of awareness, some sort of understanding of where your money is. How much is it costing you to keep your money with Betterment or whoever you're using? Those are important facts. Knowing if your investments are doing well or if they're not doing well, or if the market's down and they're, you know, as a result, they're not doing well, or are you in the right risk tolerance uh, funds? I'm searching for the word there. <laughs> are you in the right funds to match with your risk tolerance? And so it's it's not something that you're, you know, you have your thumb on every single day, but it's something that you have some understanding because it's your money after all, right? They're just using your money to try and earn you more money, but it's still your money. And so the same principle applies with any of these other sexy investments. You got to have an understanding of, of what's going on, of whether this makes sense for you, not just because everybody else is doing it. And this sounds really luxury. I promise I'm not lecturing. I'm just trying to give you a little, you know, food for thought when whenever anything like this comes up, because there's going to be a new sexy thing that comes up and maybe it's the right decision for you. Maybe it isn't. But I always like to think of my piece of speculative, more risky investments is, okay, that money is gone. And if I make money on that money, that's fantastic. But if I don't, it's okay. And so I set my expectation going into it so that I'm not heartbroken if that money is gone, nor do I put all my money into that investment and then, God forbid, the, you know, I get four flat tires on my car and suddenly I'm looking at, you know, $1,000 to get new tires on my car and I don't have any money to pull from. So what I see is a lot of misinformation out there about these types of investments. And I really wanted to bring you an episode where we focused on what is this? What do you need to know? How is this going to impact your wallet in the future? Because I think it's really important. This 
technology is not going away. It's only going to become more and more robust. So I went to somebody who's just super, super smart in this. Kendi Lane, she's been on the podcast before. She was on in November of 2017. If you haven't listened to that episode, I've linked it in the show notes. Make sure and check that one out because we're talking all about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency on that podcast episode. So this one's all about blockchain. But Kendi is, she's a millennial. She's just a badass chick. She has a BA in economics, a BS in finance. She's the hostess of the Crypt Keepers Club and just really passionate about research and processing data. And she's currently working with a startup that specializes in making cryptocurrency much easier for everyday transactions. So listen, she knows her stuff. And what I love is that she was able to boil it down into a language that I could understand, that I think everybody can understand. And I think after this, it's like, okay, I have a greater appreciation for what this technology is, what these investments look like, and how this is going to advance us, hopefully, going forward in the future. And hopefully, it's going to make things a lot easier and not more difficult. And so, you know, I think that um, if you've heard these terms, if you want to know more about this, this is definitely the podcast episode that you listen to, that you share with your friends, that you help them to get educated before they invest in this um, or before they get information from a source that isn't necessarily accurate, right? We live in a world now where everybody's just trying to come up with crazy headlines to try and get you to read the articles. I probably try and do that for the podcast episodes too, but don't tell anyone. (laughs) But you know what I mean, right? It's important to get your facts. So even if you're not interested in investing in this stuff, it's just really cool to know what it is because it's going to be around, it's going to be in our lives, and it's potentially going to play a super big part of our future going forward. So I hope you're ready. Buckle your seatbelt, get ready, and we're going to dive into Blockchain 101. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. 
In those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, Earnit provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. Earnit is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnit app and verify your paycheck. Then you access up to $100 a day as you work and you can leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. I honestly would use Earnin in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas and celebrate you all helping this podcast earn 26 million downloads. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. Gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin' Money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin' Money under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete.me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. and <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide DeleteMe with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have DeleteMe. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. DeleteMe is not just a one-time service. DeleteMe is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. 
The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and enter code ETM at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash ETM. Go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. Kendi, I am so excited to have you back on the podcast. You were with us back in, I just looked and it was back in November 2017, like almost a year ago, we talked about blockchain. It was one of the most well-received episodes. So I'm super excited to have you back. Good. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it last time and I hope I can do justice to blockchain for your listeners this time around. Yeah, you're like a podcasting pro now, so. (laughs) I'm getting there. I'm getting there. (laughs) I love it. So I wanted to start out, you know, I'm always asked this, this question over and over again, you know, what are the smartest money moves for millennials? What do they be doing? And of course, you know, I rattle off like my top ideas and my suggestions. And then there's always like this pause and inevitably the conversation about Bitcoin and blockchain and cryptocurrency comes up. And, you know, I, I'm always laughing because it just inevitably comes up. And I always say, well, you know, of course, after you build the foundation stuff, sure, you know, look into that. But, you know, to be honest, even I am a bit confused about blockchain and and how to think about it and how to think about it for the future. And you're an expert in kind of these new money trends. So before we dive into all the details, I'd love to know, you know, how did you come to be involved in this industry? Like what excites you about being involved with this? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I was actually originally more, I guess you could say classically trained when it came to finance and economics. I majored in both of those things. Um, And I've, gosh, I've had a brokerage account, just a regular stock brokerage account since I was about 16 years old. And I've always been into finance. Um, I even remember from a very young age, one of my favorite little pastimes with my grandfather was, you know, those little um, coin machines where you can put like quarters and pennies and nickels in and it sorts it for you. Like, I go all the way back to then with being into like savings and investments. And like, I remember the first time my dad told me what an interest rate was. I thought it was fascinating. And I was only like seven. He's like, you're a little strange. I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe that's part of my path, I guess. Right. (laughs) So it's definitely been something. It's not like I'm one of those that really jumped on the blockchain cryptocurrency bandwagon because I was trying to be like, I'm someone who's really always been into finance and more specifically economics because I like more of that overarching, almost academic approach to it too. So definitely been in this space for a while. I've been investing for a really long time. I definitely have studied in formal settings and through practical examples, what a lot of investing involves with different market trends and stuff like that. And um, a few years ago, back in 2013, it was one of my friends said, Hey, you know, I know you're really into finance and stuff. You might be interested in this. And he told me about Bitcoin. And so granted, my obviously my finance and economics brain thought it was really interesting, but I didn't have enough of the computer science technical chops to like understand it well enough to want to put much money into it. 
And uh, the more digging I did at that time, the more I realized how much it was being used for more black market activity. That's when the Silk Road got everything started. Um, and it just wasn't something I felt as comfortable with. But then fast forward a couple of years um, and Ethereum comes out and launches and it just seemed like a much more um, transparent, relatable, accessible for your average person to um, dive in, understand, really know what's going on, have some more people to link to it, not just some like phantom pseudonym, you know what I mean? Like with Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> so I just started doing an excessive amount of research on Ethereum and I really got into blockchain through that avenue and ethereum that platform specifically isn't as much um designed to be a cryptocurrency as much as it is designed for crypto contracts or smart contracts is what they call them so it took it took the technology the blockchain technology that's inherent to bitcoin as a currency and it kind of expanded it a layer further into the realm of contracts. So instead of just being as a potential gateway for new things in finance, now you have a new potential gateway for things even in law, which was really interesting, but it still had some of the finance components because there's still a currency within the Ethereum blockchain. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what really got me going. And then outside of that, a lot within a year or two, a lot of other quote unquote altcoins came out. And I think that's a good, a good buzzword for your listeners is probably altcoins. And so whenever you hear altcoin, it's basically a coin, anything other than Bitcoin. Bitcoin is like the original, so to speak. And then everything else is considered an altcoin. So within, within a year or two of me, like diving deeper into Ethereum and investing in that as well, um, which turned out to be some pretty good timing there. <laughs> and then a lot of altcoins came out <laughs> and it was just, it was the kind of thing where just, again, I think this is also good for your listeners, depending on your risk tolerance, obviously adjust it. Um, but I'm someone who likes to do more of a like total market ETF style investing. Like I'll do index funds a lot of the time and I'll just buy when things are low and hold and buy when things are low and hold. And that's relatively low risk, but I'm still in the stock market kind of thing. And then I'll leave a little bit on the side for like speculative stuff. And then that was kind of what I used some of my speculative account money for. And I definitely recommend that. Like whatever your risk tolerance is, go ahead and invest accordingly and then leave however much you can stomach aside for some of the more fun speculative, almost like that same feeling you get when you're in Vegas at like a blackjack table, like put whatever you're for the Exactly, exactly. So put just enough aside for you to get that feeling out of something new, different, maybe that you don't understand as much. Maybe it is a really new market, just like with cryptocurrency and blockchain. And then use that type of money for it because that worked out well for me because I used a, an amount that I could afford to completely lose and still be able to sleep at night. Um, but I still got to learn in the process and participate in something that I was learning about and that was interesting to me. So yeah, I feel like that's usually a pretty, pretty safe way to get started with these things. But like with anything, I really recommend if it's something that's interesting to you and something you do want to potentially invest more money in, just get to know it, understand it. Like that's why there's that's why there's data out there for you to dive into and just a lot of different news articles and stuff for you to understand what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, so I think before, you know, we dive into maybe like, what someone should be 
paying attention to with the data for for those that are listening that are still like, okay, but let's back it up like five steps. You know, if if you're just getting educated with this, you know, like in, in English in like the purest way possible, can you explain like what exactly is blockchain? Mm, I think a really good way to do this is to take some relatable examples into play. Um, so if you're listening and you can relate to, you know, what your history books told you about ancient Egypt, like back in the day or Mesopotamia, like there is for thousands upon thousands of years, people have been transacting. They have been doing business exchanges, personal exchanges, um, whether there's currency involved or not, there's usually a ledger there to keep track of like how much money Bob paid Alice or, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's transactions happening there throughout all of history. And originally you kept it on like stone tablets, let's say, but when you keep your ledgers on a stone tablet, obviously it's a lot more vulnerable because it's just usually located in one place. It can be easily forged and manipulated. Um, It's just not a very secure ledger system, so to speak. You really have to trust the people that you're doing business with. Um, And then you fast forward however many thousands of years from that point and everyone's using um, pen and paper, pencil and paper. They're doing handwritten ledgers of things because this is before the computers existed is under the assumption. Um, And even then, I mean, it's almost even more vulnerable at that point because again, you just have it in one or two centralized locations. Um, Even if you have a printing press and you can make some copies, like you, you still have it relatively vulnerable being physical, usually not many copies, and it's something that could be easily forged. But then you fast forward a little bit further, but you're still keeping ledgers. That's the point throughout this whole thing is like for, I don't know how long now, like humans have needed to keep track of transactions, right? Um, and so then you finally get to where computers took you and where the internet even took that a step further. So now you can keep track of it by typing it out and by distributing it um, and to even having it housed on centralized servers. So just like what your banks do with your information or what your Amazon account does with your information and your transaction history and stuff like that, it's all housed on centralized servers, um, which still... Which is quite scary to think about. (laughs) Exactly. And even if they have a lot of them, even if they're being held under pretty, you know, tight lips in terms of people not being able to disclose where they're at, like it's still a point of vulnerability. You still have more centralized points of vulnerability and you're still trusting a centralized authority to handle all of your transaction information and a lot of your very personal information. Um, But that's where blockchain is a beautiful thing, in my opinion. So let's take it to the 3.0, 4.0, if you will. And that's where blockchain comes in. And the way it makes the it's an immutable ledger system and it's designed to be immutable because instead of it being housed on very centralized um, and vulnerable pieces of technology of the time it's housed in a very decentralized way so the way they do that instead of centralized servers is whoever is a participant in the network and we'll just use bitcoin because it's the most commonly known Um, So whoever wants to participate in the Bitcoin network, that Bitcoin ledger, that Bitcoin tablet, if you will, um, and all the transactions that happen with Bitcoin can run what's called a node. Um, And a node is basically software that you can download onto. A lot of people will mine them using kind of, again, that would get into more technical stuff. (laughs) Um, But even if bottom line is, even if you have a powerful enough laptop or computer, 
you can run a Bitcoin node. And the Bitcoin node or any node for any blockchain platform, like when you hear blockchain, you should automatically understand that there's nodes being run probably around the world. And anyone that assuming it's an open blockchain network can run a node. And what the node is, is this copy of all of the transactions that happen within that system. Um, and that means that if there is anyone that tries to go in and tamper with the information, the actual algorithms that are behind it, that are verifying that Bob really did pay Alice that amount of money and vice versa, um, like those algorithms that are verifying it are making sure that, like basically if it doesn't, <laughs> it's hard, okay, I'm trying to like, Break it down a little simpler. Um, <laughs> Dumb yeah. it down for me. Okay, I know. I was going to say, I can feel when it starts to get a little more like complicated. I, okay. I think a good way to do it is picture there's like five people running a node. Let's say what's called the millennial money um, blockchain, right? And then you have a node, I have a node, and then there's three other people from around the world, Bob, Alice, and Jim, that also run a node. And we have a currency on this, just like a Bitcoin currency. Um, and so every time that we're transacting that millennial money currency, it's being tracked on this ledger system, tracked on this ledger system. But let's say that, um, and each of us have a copy of the ledger, and that's what helps keep everything accountable is the fact that you, Shauna, on your millennial money node have a copy of all the transactions that are happening, even if you're not necessarily one participating. Same thing with me, same thing with Bob, same thing with Alice, same thing with Jim everybody who's running that node has the copy and therefore can kind of reinforce the verification within the system. Um, and the what's common with this, and obviously it's still vulnerable, but it's a lot less vulnerable because usually instead of five nodes running this decentralized network, um, you usually have thousands of people running it. And so the odds of collusion, the odds of you and Bob and Alice, like, or three of the five of these stakeholders being able to get together and say, uh, and manipulate the ledger is a lot lower, especially when you're talking usually not five nodes running on a network, but thousands of them to run certain coins. And that's something to keep in mind too. Like for those of you listeners who are looking to invest in something like this, usually the more nodes and the more decentralized the nodes are, typically the more secure the network is because the more central, like if you get more centralized organizations running majority of the nodes, like 51% or higher, then they're able to man potentially manipulate the information on that ledger if they're mining it. Does that make sense? And that's something you could, you, you could have it, uh, something you could figure um, out, right? In terms of, are you have access to that information uh, of the of the like nodes? Like how many like, nodes are on a particular network? I believe they have websites yeah. that track that type of thing. Um, for the most part, I don't think there's that hasn't been as much of an issue in the market yet. Thankfully, in terms of it being a problem, um, Ethereum had a I, well, I wouldn't say it's a fifty one percent attack, but it was um, it was an attack on the network that caused them to work it because that's the other thing is like it doesn't have to be an attack that of like a 51 percent attack to where you know majority of the nodes 
falsify the information. It could be what's called a fork. Like I'm sure a lot of listeners who are somewhat into blockchain have also heard of a fork, a hard fork, or a soft fork in the network. And that's when people openly, transparently decide to have majority of the um, network take a different route in terms of the program it's choosing to run. So in the case of our example, with the three of us on the Millennial Money Network, like let's say there's just a fundamental disagreement with how we are processing the transaction, a fundamental disagreement of the direction we want to take with this project, this platform, this blockchain, right? Um, and you and I agree that it should be going in this particular direction, but Bob and Jim and Alice really want to do something different with it. Well, that's when a fork happens in the network, and that's when they're able to um, update a different they're able to download a different update of the software which no longer makes it the millennial money blockchain but they're going to start running their own version and call it like the millennial money cubed like blockchain project and that's what happens with bitcoin bitcoin cash bitcoin gold like that's exactly what happened they're all forks of the bitcoin blockchain because somewhere along the lines of that blockchain there were fundamental disagreements in how it should be running. So blockchain then is like the foundation that the cryptocurrency is like layered on top of. Is that a correct way to think about it? Um, in terms of the currency component, blockchain, like generating the blocks is how the currency itself is generated. So um, just like, yeah, just like with a lot of other things, when you go and look up the the market cap of something, the supply of, and obviously the circulating supply is a factor. Um, well, okay. And to back it up a little bit, traditionally with finance, I also, I always went on Yahoo Finance to look up a lot of the different metrics for different stocks, right? Well, now with um, blockchain, I usually go on a website called coinmarketcap.com. And if you go on coinmarketcap.com and you click on Bitcoin, it'll tell you right now that the circulating supply of Bitcoin is let's see it looks like 17 million almost let's like just over 17 million right and the total supply is capped at 21 million and the blocks like every time a new block is generated a whole new set of transactions is officially like time stamped verified um it would be like back in the day when you had a bunch of accountants going through and verifying all these transactions for a store. And then they take it to the head accountant. The head accountant goes through all its metrics and makes sure, yes, like this balances the way it's supposed to and gives it the stamp of approval. Once that stamp of approval hits and those transactions are considered valid, then the new, um, then the new components of the currency get generated. Then the supply of the currency therefore gets increased. Uh, does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, with that understanding, thinking about then, okay, now that we, we understand it, how in, in your experience and your expertise, how do you think blockchain is going to infect, uh, impact, I should say, our, our future wallets? Like going forward, what are we going to be using this technology for? And like potentially what industries is this going to, you know, shake things up in? Ooh, I have a feeling that it's going to have the potential to not just shake things up, but honestly make a more grounding factor for a lot of industries that house information in general. Like almost any good or service that you can think of keeps track of transactions. And if that's the case and they want to make a more reliable system 
for keeping track of those transactions, then they can convert a lot of that activity to the blockchain. Um, and so that alone, I think, has the potential to make companies that participate in it a lot more credible, reliable. It will increase their integrity, so to speak. So I would definitely say that um, if Amazon started moving all of its transaction history onto the blockchain, I would probably have even that much more faith in Amazon, and I wouldn't be surprised if their stock went up um, accordingly, oh, okay. assuming they're building a strong network. Um, let's see. And it makes a difference, like the technology they're building it on too. But again, this is under the assumption that a, a large company with Amazon that has a lot to invest in it would probably build a pretty solid one. Um, and, and their, then, their, like their advantage, I guess, of doing that is just having a more kind of tamper proof system of keeping track of these transactions. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that is a very accurate way to think of it, because once it's on the blockchain and it's being processed accordingly, the odds of someone being able to go in and mess anything up or destroy records dramatically decreases. So it does make it a lot more secure in that sense, um, which is always, always so a nice thing. Why are, yeah, why are more company? why aren't more, I guess I should say, why aren't more companies using this technology? Is it just because it's new? I think that's a big Ish. part of it, just like with anything that came out. Like, I mean, you know, DVD players came out once upon a time and it was a really great <laughs> improvement, but people were still kind of unsure if they could trust it, so to speak. And, and they were honest, like $800 that. or something ridiculous when they first <laughs> <Yeah>. came out. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. And in this case, it's like, it doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money, um, in terms of buying, well, I guess if it's mining, it does cost a lot of money in terms of buying hardware. That in and of itself can be an investment. Um, but outside of that, a lot of it is the investment in, this could be a whole another more technical spinoff, <laughs> in something called the consensus algorithm, the consensus mechanism. And I think the best way to think of consensus in the algorithms that go into it is a lot like the software that runs certain computers or almost like the mechanics that run cars in a way. It's very necessary. It really is indicative of how well thought out, how reliable a blockchain is going to be. But there's still so much computer science development on trying to come to the best type of consensus algorithm, consensus mechanism out there um, to where I feel like if I were a, a huge company like Amazon and it would take a really big investment to convert all of those transactions over, I would probably want to wait a little bit longer if I was Jeff Bezos before they came up with a really solid consensus protocol uh, before I want to just think a lot of money into it because he could invest all of this money. Amazon can invest all of this money to convert all of those records over to a blockchain method only to have it be a consensus algorithm that becomes relatively obsolete and therefore a blockchain that's not as robust as it could be. So that's like, like with anything in any industry, whether it's, whether it's a physical good or whether it's a certain type of software, it's usually good to let the dust settle a little bit before large companies that have a lot to lose um, start adopting it. That, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That definitely makes sense. They want to avoid the uh, the negative press for sure. And I would yeah. imagine that a lot of these large companies are like, okay, who's going to dip their toes in the water first? Because we don't want to be first. <laughs> Maybe we'll be second or yeah. third, but first is a little scary. Exactly. 
Yeah, and I think a few other really good things to point out in terms of how this is going to affect a lot of individuals, a lot of people that could probably relate um, that are listening to this is in terms of a currency, that's actually a startup that I'm starting to work with right now is just, I think that's the next wave of when you're really going to see blockchain start to think it's teeth into our culture a bit more. And the way economics is run is the fact that it has the potential to decentralize the way finance is handled, the way currency is handled. Because as of right now, majority of people to make all of their transactions as a medium of exchange will use U.S. dollars or, you know, Russian rubles or whatever their native currency is to that particular country. But the beautiful thing about blockchain and where a lot of the really progressive minds were coming from as this was being developed, and especially a lot of the early more like Bitcoin vigilantes, if you will, were the ones who saw the potential to help destabilize a lot of governments who are relatively corrupt and have a lot of big inflation issues with um, with their home currency. Like Venezuela is a really good example. Like a lot of people, a lot of Venezuelans started flocking to Bitcoin or forms of cryptocurrency to help not have to spend their home currency, their native currency, because the inflation for it was just outrageous. And so I think that becomes, on a very personal level, I think that becomes a really beautiful thing because people, you're, you're now officially a stakeholder who gets to have more of a say and more of a democratic say, if you will, in the way your currency is being handled. Do you think, though, do you think, though, that, you know, that is potentially like threatening to certain countries and their currency? I mean, obviously, some of the countries like Venezuela, I mean, we don't need to get in all the politics of it. But, you know, there's, I'm sure, certain leaders of that that country that, you know, like the extreme economic disadvantage that a lot of people are in, unfortunately. Do you think that, you know, that that then potentially threatens, you know, some of these governments and certainly the ones that have, you know, rulers and things like that, that, um, that, that benefit from this. Right. And I think it is going to be destabilizing for those centralized authorities, those governments, but at the same time, the destabilization that's happening for those governments and those people who were, and those politicians, so to speak, um, that is going to be then diverted into more power and more democratic say for the people who are actually being affected by it. So, yeah, I think there definitely has the potential, um, depending on how passionate the people choose to get about their currency and how invested they choose to get about the medium of exchange that they're using and the networks that they're using for it. Um, And depending on how offended the governments get, it does have the potential to definitely shake things up a bit. But at the same time, I think ultimately it's going to be for the betterment of the individual constituents and stakeholders that are using that particular currency. Um, and which, on a, which I would hope that would be, yeah, that would be the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, if we were living in a relatively oppressive area when it came to currency and there was a lot of economic turmoil because of it, like, I mean, I think it would just be like this light at the end of a dark tunnel to be able to say, hey, I can use this digital currency instead and I don't have to rely on whatever my government's trying to feed me. It's just not working out so well. Um, and along those lines too, I think this is in terms of like the individual perspective, I think this is a good time to mention what, um, what blockchain has the potential to do for law. So not cryptocurrency, like obviously we've addressed cryptocurrency and how stakeholders can participate in their currency at that point with blockchain. 
But another avenue of blockchain, what I kind of touched on earlier with Ethereum, is this idea of smart contracts. So it's not a currency, it's a contract. And the blockchain, just like it could keep track of transactions for the currency, can also keep track of agreements for a contract. Um, and so a lot of, uh, not a lot of, I should say, obviously, it's like a, a starter market at this point, but there are some projects some blockchain projects out there that are actually creating investment funds that involve a lot of contracts, like a lot of pooled asset funds um, that are run off of smart contracts on a blockchain. So let's go back to that example of um, the millennial money currency. And let's just say it's like a millennial money investment fund. And it's um, you, me, Bob, Alice, and Jim, right? And all of us are investors, different percentages allocated into this investment fund. And we could, we could program a contract to run off and the blockchain is, and the nodes that we run is what like keeps us involved as stakeholders and keeps us all accountable. We each get to run a node, so to speak. Um, and there's software that says, hey, you know, like Shauna owns 20% and so on and so forth. And there's algorithms in place, like there's a computer program that we all agree upon as in people of that investment pool um, to run the investment fund. So we could set it up to invest in certain types of stocks when they hit certain levels, um, certain price levels, kind of like buy orders and sell orders and just have it automate everything. Um, automate how much money is put, it, put in at certain times. And then that way we don't have to constantly be keeping up with each other on the phone. Like, hey, did you put this much money in? Where do we want it to go? All this stuff. We just agree on a contract that runs the investment fund the way we want the investment fund to be run and let it run itself essentially. And we can again audit it with hmm. our nose if we choose to do so. Uh, but each of us get a copy of it. So there's the potential for that as well in terms of contracts. But even even beyond that, like when it comes to estate planning, I mean, think of how many types of wills there are and different types of um, estates that are managed via contract, via traditional lawyers at this point, you know what I mean? But if you're able to put it on a ledger system, on a trustable ledger system to keep track of all that for you, just like with taking out the middleman of the government when it comes to currency you could be taking out the middleman in terms of the courts and lawyer or not necessarily the courts because the courts are more the enforcers but i guess you could say the lawyers in terms of legal agreements and contracts um so that sure there's a lot of lawyers that would be shaking in their boots <laughs> yeah well and that's the thing when it comes to technology just like what the internet did to communication and just like what the internet did to information and the transmission of communication and information is a lot like what blockchain is going to be doing to finance economics and law um, yeah, and I think it's you know, luckily, just like with a lot of technology, if if you look back on where we were even 50 years ago and reconcile that to like our lifestyle now and how much technology plays a role and how different our culture is because of it, you'd be terrified, you know. So some of this is extrapolating out like 10, 20 years. I think it's going to have to happen slow enough to where it's not too jarring for different individuals and, and countries, but it's definitely where we're headed. And I, mean, I think it's something that's really excited because one more thing, I think you got, you get the, the general idea, but kind of along the similar lines with um, the contracts is there's a lot of organizations that are popping out, like one's called Democracy OS, another one's called like Democracy Earth and stuff like that. And again, in America, we don't seem to worry about it or have as much demand for it yet. 
But in a lot of other countries, that's really, really starting to crop up a lot in South American countries, I've noticed. Um, a lot of them are trying to have more of a voice and a vote. Like democracy isn't as much of a thing over in those countries. It's really sad. And there's a lot of millennials usually that are into the technology and into the potential for the decentralization and the democracy that can come from it. So there's even these organizations like Democracy OS and like Democracy Earth that are really trying to promote um, politicians starting to use blockchain technology, different operating systems like blockchain technology to listen to the voices of their constituents. So that would even change the political landscape, which I think has wow. a, a lot of good potential. So instead of us <laughs> electing, yeah, exactly. And so I think the potentials for that are great too, because instead of us electing an individual for to run for a few years and just kind of assume that he or she knows what their constituents want every time something comes up for vote, now, instead, you could maybe still have a representative there if you really want to, but they could rely on the actual participation of their constituents every time something comes up to vote on that people are passionate about. Um, it would almost, I mean, I've talked to some people about how the platforms would look for something like this. It would almost look similar to a Facebook in terms of the likes, the dislikes, the conversations that happen in terms of the interface of it. Um, but it would also, I mean, you get a lot of feedback from what your constituents are actually thinking and feeling and potentially assuming you can verify that they're relevant to whatever, wherever this vote is being affected, you know, like I wouldn't want someone yeah. in, um, someone in Argentina to be able to vote for roads being built in my backyard, you know what I mean? Um, so as long as you can verify that obviously like they are a constituent of this particular legislation, um, I think it would be a really neat thing to have people more actively participate in the topics that they're passionate about. And again, blockchain leaves a lot of room for that to be the case too, and for ledgers to be kept track of accordingly. Because instead of having issues with voter fraud, instead of having issues, do you remember like, I don't even remember what election it was, but with like hanging chads and miscounts and stuff like that. Like oh that yes, doesn't, there's been a few of happen. them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that doesn't happen on blockchain because assuming the verification being done appropriately in the first place, then there's no there's no tampering with like how many votes there really was for something. There's a lot less opportunity for fraud. And again, there's a lot more opportunity for active, consistent, I think that's a good word, consistent participation, because otherwise, if there's not a lot of consistent participation and really polling how your constituents feel on a regular basis, then you just get people with a lot of money getting in the picture in the politician's face and saying, hey, we'll pay you all this money to just vote how we want. And then your voice isn't that democratic. It's only being represented by that, that particular institution, that particular company, individual, whomever it might be. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Millennial Money. As always, we'll be back on Tuesday for a brand new episode. And if you love this podcast, do me a favor, share it with your friends, shout it out on social media. And if you could go to the link in the show notes to rate and review the podcast, it means so much to me. We work so hard to bring you a new episode every Tuesday, every Friday, and I would appreciate it if you could show me some love back. 